Welcome to the Team Health Podcast Program, Beyond Clinical Medicine, What They Don't Teach You in Residency. I'm Rob Strauss, Team Health's Chief Medical Training Officer, and this podcast will discuss workforce issues in emergency medicine. The EM workforce is a very hot topic. A study commissioned by ASEP during the pandemic suggested that there might be as many as 10,000 too many emergency physicians by 2030, eight years from now. The implications are career shifting. What about those who are currently in or considering EM residency training? Well, today we have a very special guest, Dr. Mark Rosenberg, ASEP's immediate past president. He is also the chair of emergency medicine at St. Joseph's Health in Patterson and Wayne, New Jersey, among the busiest EDs in the country. Their pediatric ED alone sees more than 40,000 visits. Mark is also the institution's chief innovation officer, and for good reason. Heard of Alto, Alternatives to Opioid Program? Mark led the development of the first program. Heard of geriatric EDs? Mark was one of the first to conceptualize and develop one, now a 20-bed unit. Heard of palliative care in the ED? Again, Mark developed the first and perhaps the only ED-based palliative care program 24-7. On a personal level, Mark has extraordinary emotional intelligence, and we in emergency medicine are lucky he has chosen to dedicate his remarkable intellect to benefit us. Mark, welcome. Thank you, Rob. Happy to be here. You know, um, I have always loved emergency medicine. And when I started, my dad always said to me, why don't you become a real physician rather than an accident ward doctor? Never been more pleased. Wish you could see it now. What a great specialty we all are in. Happy yes, to be here. Thanks. Mark, I know that ASAP performed a workforce study. What were the concerns that led to this study? It's actually a, quite a long history of years, uh, multiple workforce studies over the years. Um, every time it showed that we need more and more emergency physicians. But the backdrop there has been the fact that year after year, we have always seen more emergency department patients in the nation's emergency departments. There were about 50% of emergency physicians who were surveyed said that we were going to be, uh, we still need more emergency physicians. And another half said, uh, no, we're going to be oversupplied of emergency physicians. So the decision was made, let's do a workforce study. Let's see how the how time has changed the specialty the need for emergency physicians. What were the results? It showed that um, because of the dynamics of supply and demand, it appeared that there was a very good chance that we would have an oversupply of emergency physicians by 2030. The number could be staggering, as many as 10,000 physicians over what are needed in the country with our current practice of emergency medicine. And thousands a lot, um, and it has significant implications. Well, uh, let's talk about, you said they came out in April, in May last year. Uh, I know that you led 
a panel discussion at the ASAP Leadership and Advocacy Conference on workforce issues. What were the areas of focus uh, and specific concerns expressed at that time? I think, uh, depending on your age and where you are in your career, people have different concerns. Those who are new residents coming out hoping to have a long career in emergency medicine were frightened. Uh, they wanted to know that they can get a job where they wanted to get a job, that they can be near their home or you know, where their spouse's family was, whatever was important to them. And apparently there was concern that the market was rapidly shifting and those jobs were not readily available. There was big concern about advanced practice providers that nurse practitioners and PAs were taking jobs that were actually their jobs, the emergency physician's job. We was concerned about a large increase in residency programs graduating more and more emergency physicians. And that too was creating a problem in the workforce. But the biggest problem at that time was we were in the pandemic. And early in the pandemic, April through June of 2020, we saw an unprecedented drop in ED volume, 42% decrease. Now, we still had the same number of emergency physicians. We still had the same number of nurse practitioners, but we had 42% less patients. Therefore, instantly, we were forced to look at the future of what would happen. What would happen if our supply of emergency physicians outpaced the demand for their services? So that's one of those, the future is now, this is what could happen. So let's take a deeper dive into some of these, the residents. And I remember the then president of uh, EMRA was speaking. Um, what accounts for a couple of things? One, the dramatic increase in residency programs, which was a concern, particularly in light of the results of uh, the ASEP study. And given the ACGME process, can that even be addressed? It's, it's a great question. And it's not easy to answer because there's so many moving parts. Let me give you an example. Residency programs, emergency medicine residents have become very valuable to hospital systems because they are so skilled and they can work on different services as they're rotating through their training. This has made emergency medicine a great new business opportunity for hospitals, medical systems, universities who wanted to expand the residency program or to create new residency programs. The number of new residency programs has exponentially increased over the past decade, in part because residency programs can and do make money for the facility. So a hospital uh, may want to start residency programs, and if they don't have a residency program, they are entitled to do so through ACGME criteria and therefore, many hospitals were looking at this opportunity to get um, more emergency physicians, maybe recruit their own emergency physicians. Uh, maybe there was a revenue reason for it, but we had this 
increased number of residency programs, graduating a large number of increased residents going into emergency medicine and increasing the uh, supply side of the supply demand equation. So you've got an increasing number of residencies, uh, uh, potentially uh, fewer jobs available where one might want to go, except perhaps in the rural areas. And most graduating residents don't particularly want to go into rural areas. I just read an EMRA article by the current EMRA president, Dr. Kai, who uh, it's called Unity, Purpose, and Passion, Influencing the Future of the EM Workforce. And in it, uh, she, they described encouraging an increase in standards by the ACGME. Is that doable? ASAP needed to do something. We all needed to do something to change the supply-demand equation. So when we look at the residency programs, the idea was let's raise the bar on the quality of education for residents. Mm -hmm. Let's look at the standards and have the opportunity to change them so we had more skilled quality emergency physicians graduating. The other side of that equation would be that it may be, make it more difficult to start a residency program and get it accredited by the ACGMA. And so we did a deep dive with multiple organizations and those organizations included ASEP and ACOEP and CORD and EMRA and SAEM. And they all looked at what is the best training that we develop now for our residents? How many procedures should they do? And if we raise the bar on the quality that we want in residency programs, it is very likely that we will decrease the number of new residency programs being developed for all the reasons I just articulated. What's interesting is every several years, the ACGME does a deep dive on residency standards for different specialties. And emergency medicine is coming up this year to see if there's an opportunity to change the residency standards. So timing's perfect to look at that and make some suggestions of how to improve residency programs. It does sound like the timing is good. Uh, I, I wanna talk about the possibility of attrition playing a role. The Medscape article recently came out uh, describing uh, more burnout than ever seen before. Emergency medicine, which was at about 46% of clinicians um, having symptoms of burnout, went up to the highest of all of the group, up to 60%. And uh, also in the article, they described uh, 20 to 25% of clinicians thinking about just quitting in the next three to five years. Does that play a role in, in, in terms of the perception of job availability? Without a doubt, if we have attrition, it's going to change the number of physicians in the workforce. When we did the study, we were looking at whether there was a 1%, 2%, or 3% 
attrition per year and wanted to model what that would mean as far as the workforce going forward. As president of the American College of Emergency Physicians, I was able to visit every single state chapter because of course I could do that from my office with Zoom. But I got a chance to ask the question and talk to many of the physicians at each state chapter and an unprecedented number of physicians, particularly those who are older, would say to me during our conference call, our video chat, that, you know what, they just decided they're going to leave the specialty. Uh, they don't want to be dealing with COVID anymore. They already had it. They were hospitalized. Everyone had a story. So the numbers that we have, meaning the one, two, three percent attrition that we had in the study, may really be understated. Uh, my opinion only, but I'm seeing a lot of my friends and colleagues step away from clinical or cut back significantly. Add the burnout, as you brought up, Rob. Uh, I've never seen so many of our brothers and sisters, our, our emergency physicians, those who were in the trenches with being tired and burnout. And we may see a larger than expected number of those leaving the specialty because of all these reasons. That helps the numbers when we look at will be, what will the oversupply of emergency physicians be. But I also think that many of those physicians who are considering leaving the specialty may look at alternative opportunities within the specialty. So it behooves us as leaders in emergency medicine to create those opportunities um, as other parts of the specialty evolve. So what are some of those opportunities? You know, uh, some of them became live right in front of our eyes during COVID, but telemedicine's a real big one. The basis behind telemedicine becoming a big part of us increasing the demand uh, for emergency services is the fact that uh, we need to stop thinking of emergency physicians only working within the bricks and mortar of an emergency department and taking our specialty outside. We are not emergency department physicians. We are emergency physicians. And our specialty can take us so many different places. Let me give you an example. In New Jersey, during COVID, the nursing homes were emptying out of anybody who got sick and they were sending them to the hospitals and the hospitals were becoming absolutely overwhelmed. And I know that a neighborhood nursing home to where I work was com uh, completely emptied, completely emptied. Mm. And every one of their patients were in my hospital. <laughs> Wouldn't it make sense that we utilize the nursing home and have emergency physicians make rounds or take care of them there, and we turn that into a COVID center or some other treatment facility, the, the facility already existed. Now we just have to supply it with the staff that's needed. So we're seeing a big switch with, with the telemedicine and the ability to reach outside the hospital. Uh, but we're also seeing freestanding centers open, whether they're freestanding emergency departments, urgent care centers, Emergency physicians are working in more than ever. I know a couple emergency physicians who opened up addiction centers. Um, and there are 
many other opportunities. And Rob, if I can continue this one step further, other specialties who are older than we are, like radiology, internal medicine, have had to look at their specialty and evolve. Internal medicine used to just be docs who did primary care. And then they evolved into other specialties like cardiology, uh, pulmonary medicine, critical care. This is what emergency medicine needs to do. So maybe we can evolve into doing more palliative care, doing more um, pain and addiction, doing some of those things that our specialty already promotes. We don't have to switch people from being emergency physicians. We just have to add other opportunities for emergency physicians. So maybe you work one third of the time in the emergency department, one third of the time working uh, in the addiction clinic, and one third of the time teaching. But we can evolve and we can make our specialty much more robust than just working in the emergency department. And I'm not talking about talking down about the emergency department. I love it. Uh, but there is a lot more that we can do. And maybe, maybe if we're just really lucky, it'll help prevent burnout as well, giving physicians a chance um, to use their skills, but working in a different environment that benefits our patients, uh, but may not be as stressful or as taxing as it appears to some of our colleagues. Wow, the way you describe it, uh, this kind of broadening of scope is hopeful and actually exciting. Um, there are some really cool opportunities there. I want to go back to something you talked about a little bit and just get a little more of your take on the topic related to uh, large hospitals um, or systems that have uh, considered starting residency for perhaps service reasons, and even uh, a few large emergency medicine groups uh, working with those hospitals uh, to create those residencies. Does the issue related to quality that you described by the ACGME partially address that? Are there other issues? The ACGME standards and addressing those or raising the bar, uh, will address it in part. But there are, there has always been historically a need for more and more emergency physicians. So the idea of a very large system or a for-profit hospital system starting, wanting to start residency programs and deciding to put in emergency medicine is one of the several that they're putting in is in part done because there was a significant need for more emergency physicians. I myself have gone to some of those uh, groups um, and those large hospital systems and talked to them about the workforce study. The fact that there will be an oversupply, it appears to be uh, likely that there'll be an oversupply of emergency physicians in the future. And they were shocked and willing to listen more to the data. Because if you want to start residency programs, if that's what your hospital's goals and objectives are, and I don't wanna talk against that or for that, but if that's the reality that we're dealing with, what I found from these hospital systems is they're willing to not add an emergency medicine residency program, 
but maybe family medicine, um, maybe internal medicine, maybe another program that suits their community better if we're going to have an oversupply of emergency physicians. So now I said two things. Let's change the standard by the ACGME. Let's talk to those groups, those hospital systems that are starting residency programs and let them know that this can't go on forever. And it's best if we start addressing it now. So taking those two approaches has really changed uh, the response that I had received when I first walked in to the bricks and mortar walls of one of these large uh, for-profit hospital systems. We realized that we can partner together with strategic initiatives for uh, emergency medicine and decrease the number of residency programs that seem to be part of the supply problem in uh, emergency medicine. Yeah, thanks, Mark. I, I, I think that's that's helpful. And it's very interesting when people look at supply and demand, that if one looks at medicine other than emergency medicine, it is thought that there will be a significant deficit in the numbers, but in emergency medicine, uh, too many clinicians. And so that relates to the next question, which is advanced practice providers, APPs. And my understanding is that there are as many PAs and NPs graduating as there are graduating medical students and that the anticipated number of APP graduates will be even greater. Can you talk about that? Yeah, I certainly can. You, you know, I wanna, I'll get back to it in a second, Rob. Let me just mention something else. Um, many nurse practitioners and PAs who want to work in the emergency department use the terminology that goes something like this. I wanna be able to work at the top of my license. Mm -hmm. That's really aspirational. And, and, and you can understand somebody who's fresh out of school, well-trained, who really feels that uh, I wanna work at the top. I, I wanna make a difference. So I am a licensed physician who became an emergency physician. My license, allows me to do surgery and deliver babies. But that's not my skill set. And for me to think just because I'm licensed to do that means that I can and should do that is a different question. So when somebody says to me, I want to work at the top of my license, I think what we can say is, I want to work at the top of my training. And then we have to look at the training. So let me talk about nurse practitioners and PAs and compare them to physicians. Um, the a physician goes through a pretty lengthy, well-orchestrated training program that has been for centuries, where you're actually learning your basic sciences and you're going through med school and you're doing your clinical rotations. And then you're, you're specializing in your specialty, maybe doing a fellowship. And that's the type. So when I come into emergency department on the worst day of my life, after a car accident, God forbid, or with crushing chest pain, that's who I want to see, that emergency physician who had the training that I know they can take care of everything I have. Nurse practitioners and PAs have significantly less training. Some of them are working online, and I don't 
want to act like an expert on what it is to become a nurse practitioner. But what we know is their training and their clinical training is very different and much less than a physician. So on your worst day, you want to see somebody who makes you feel comfortable that you trust their training and their skills. There is another factor that's critically important here is the cost. What that may mean is that there is a financial or a revenue reason to hire somebody who's less expensive or cheaper uh, to fill the same gap. Another factor is supervision and, uh, and independent practice. Many states right now are fighting with nurse practitioner uh, legislation to allow them to be independent practice. Part of that may almost make sense, sort of, because if you don't have any physicians in rural America, then who else can you have take care of people? What's your next best option? Well, maybe it's a nurse practitioner with telemedicine to a board certified residency trained emergency physician. What type of supervision do we consider adequate for a nurse practitioner or PA? Aspirationally, I want every patient who presents to our nation's emergency departments to be able to see a board certified residency trained emergency physician. That is not possible now, and it's gonna take a while before we get there. So what do we do? So let me mix it all up. There are more and more nurse practitioners and physician assistants who are now coming out of school who wanna work and practice in the emergency department. We believe, I believe that there is a best way with adequate supervision, and we can define that and go into more detail, by not allowing scope of practice creep so that nurse practitioners and PAs cannot work independently. And if they have to, because of the rural environment, we create a structure to make the patients as safe as absolutely possible. And when it comes down to cost, are we looking for the highest quality care we can give our patients who come in with an acute unscheduled emergency, or do we want to give them the cheapest care? I have no problem, and ASAP has no problem, with physician-led teams, and that means a nurse practitioner or PA can be part of that. But as we look at the workforce, the large number of nurse practitioners and PAs who are now coming into the workforce are creating part of that supply-demand problem, meaning increasing the supply when the demand is pretty stagnant until we start increasing that. Mark, that's a, a really clear answer to a complex issue. Uh, and I, I appreciate the way you built that and then summarized it. But these are all complex intertwined issues. Um, how is ASEP collaborating with other organizations and other leaders to address these issues? You know, the workforce study was originally done by um, six organizations plus ASEP. So American Board of Emergency Medicine, American College of Osteopathic Emergency Medicine, AOBEM, CORD, uh, Council of Residency Directors, um, EMRA, and SAEM. And going forward, all these organizations are still working together to help with the solutions 
that are in front of us and developing new solutions. I think one of the biggest challenges that we need everybody's help with is really how do we increase demand? How do, how do we make it that emergency physicians are more in demand and that the supply demand equation will level off and there will not be an oversupply of emergency physicians? And we're all working on that. ASEP just put together a new task force looking at ways that we can improve models of care uh, for acute unscheduled emergencies, which is really our specialty. But let's take us out of bricks and mortar. And that's what all these organizations are working for. We are really one specialty, emergency medicine. We have lots of houses that we work in, whether it's SAEM or ASEP, but we're all in this together. So we have to work together to get out of it. Mark, uh, knowing you and what you stand for and um, your thoughtfulness about these issues as a representative of ASEP, my organization, I, I couldn't be happier to have you involved in these discussions as well as so many others. So this has been fascinating and informative, and I want to thank you for helping us to gain some perspective on this set of issues. Thank you, Mark. Thank you, Rob. Thanks for having me. I hope you've enjoyed this Beyond Clinical Medicine podcast with uh, Dr. Mark Rosenberg. If you have any questions about this topic or suggestions for other topics, please contact me at beyondclinicalmedicine.org. Thank you.